Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino, and I am your co-host. And of course, as always, I am joined by my co-host, which is James Johnson, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire over on USA Today. And Jay, uh, <laughs> I don't know that it's it feels good to just kind of know, know what was going to happen or if you just feel more bad about how the season is going. But either way, it's good to see you and good to talk to you. And um, I guess we'll, we'll we'll get into breaking down this game. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like for me, and I think like you would agree on it's for me and you. And even if we had Jacob on the panel, it feels like this is panning out how we thought it would, you know. So with that being the case, like for us, it's probably a little bit easier to deal with for me and you. And then on the, on the flip side too, also what helps us is we have to cover the team to a degree subjectively, you know what I'm saying? Like, or um, should I say objectively? So that being said, you know, like to a degree, a little bit of the fandom is out of the way, if you will, although still, we still are fans at the end of the day as well. But, you know, like I said, it just feels like it's kind of panning out how I thought it would. And it, I seem less, hurt than others you seem a little bit less hurt than others as well just based off of our interactions so with that being the case I think this episode is going to be one where you know we can kind of put our emotions aside and just kind of explain to everybody what went on uh, because you know as fans they are looking at it in a different light than us so you know I guess that makes us more qualified or should I say a better qualified qualified to kind of go through this process uh, for the fans and explain the X's and O's and, and what have you. Yeah, Jay makes a really good point. So for those of you that are listening, don't mistake our calmness for a lack of frustration because Jay and I are both extremely frustrated, you know, and for any of those that are for any of you that are new here, Jay and I have been fans of the team since its inception. And now that we get a chance to cover it, we, we get to see the team in kind of a different light. But it doesn't mean that we get any less irritated or annoyed with some of the things that go on, not only on the field, but also behind the scenes. Because when you're in this kind of position that Jay and I are in, you kind of see also what's going on behind the curtain that a lot of people don't get to see. And let me just tell you guys, it's almost equally as frustrating. So, yeah. So, don't, again, don't mistake our, our passiveness for a, for a lack of caring, because we certainly do. Um, so, of course, we're going to break down the game. Uh, give away the offensive and defensive game balls. And then also we have some listener questions, which Jay and I are very excited to get into. So we'll wrap up the show with that. And then we'll move on to Detroit here later on this week. But let's get the housekeeping out of the way, guys. For those of you who have gone over to Apple Podcasts and left that five-star review, we really appreciate it. Uh, make sure you're subscribing as well. There's a two of the ways that you can support us, and it helps out a lot. We're also available on your favorite podcast directories, along with Apple Podcasts, which is Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can, of course, find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter as part of the Believe Podcast library. You can tweet the show at Believe in Jags Pod over on Twitter. You can find me at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O, and Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Dawn. 
And the last thing we want to do is give a shout out to betonline.ag, who helps bring you guys this show every single week. The wait is finally over. Football is back. And while you may not be at the game this year, you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. Now, Jay, I certainly don't need any help in ways of getting rid of my money, but (laughs) some of the things that I like over at BetOnline are the prop bets. I'm not really necessarily interested in, you know, the lines and how, you know, the basics in terms of betting, but I like some of these prop bets, like what's the longest field goal that's going to be scored, the total amount of field goals, the longest punt, stuff like that I think is really interesting. And that's just kind of an example of what you can find over at BetOnline. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet online gives you more options to waiver than any other place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It literally never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Jay, so let's move into the box score here and look at the numbers. Of course, the Jaguars fell to the Houston Texans 30-14. to 14. Uh, Before we get into the box score, Jay, I'm sure you saw the statistic where the Jags are the first team in NFL history to give a team its first win three, week, three weeks in a row. And uh, when we had our buddy James on from Texans Unfiltered, we kind of gave him the idea that we kind of felt like they were about to get that first dub, and and they certainly did. Yeah, that stat alone, that tells you all you need to know about the rest of the season. While Shad Khan will say, you know, hey, I, I guess he said this during the uh, Lot J presentation, you know, it's all about how you finish. But when you start in this manner and lose to three winless teams, uh, that pretty much tells you that it's, you know, the writing's on the wall at that point. So that said, to me, I don't think this thing is going to get any better from that statistic alone. And if these were rosters, need I remind you, except for the Texans, that were, when you talk about winless rosters, that weren't as talented as the Jags. Um, the Cincinnati Bengals aren't as talented as the Jags, albeit they do have Burrow. Uh, the Miami Dolphins weren't either. So from that perspective, man, like you can't help but just kind of be on a sour note when looking at that statistic and evaluating it and kind of taking it in and so on and so forth, uh, because it pretty much tells you about how the season is going to go. Granted, there's some drastic change. Yeah, so looking at the team statistically on the offensive side, Gardner Minshew goes 31 of 49, 301 yards and two touchdowns. James Robinson has 13 carries for 48 yards, which, Jay, I I definitely want to get into with you. Uh, LaVisca Chenault led receivers with seven catches, 79 yards, had himself a great day. Keelan Cole, once again, looks solid. Now, only a couple of catches for 25 yards uh, and a touchdown, but he also had that really good kickoff return as well earlier in the game. My guy, Colin Johnson, getting involved, three catches, 30 yards, and his first NFL touchdown. Shout out to Colin Johnson. That was great to see. Uh, DJ Chark was held pretty ineffective, three catches, 16 yards. Uh, I think they probably keyed in on him. And our buddy over there at Texans Unfiltered, James, was talking about Roby. And, uh, you know, Jay, we'll talk about him and what he had to say about Gardner Minshew here shortly. But offensively, you know, not really anything that stood out. I don't know that you ever really want Gardner Minshew to throw the football 49 times. There's very few quarterbacks you want to throw 49 times. Um, But, you know, looking at the offensive side of things, it was good to see Chenault you know, getting involved or getting more involved, I should say. But I think I can't remember who tweeted this out. It was a member of the media, but it really just seemed like on the offensive side of things, Jay Gruden was just trying to do too much with this. And because we were in it early and then just got away from us. So what do you think when you look at how the team performed offensively this past weekend? 
So, yeah, as you said, uh, first and foremost, the most alarming part about this, and I went back and watched, I saw the first half live and I went back and watched the second half because I missed it as it came on. But the most alarming part about what you just said is the 49 times of throwing the ball for Gardner Minshew. Uh, no way in God's beautiful green, white, and blue earth uh, should they have been throwing that many times against a team that was the worst against the uh, rush coming into this game. You know, I felt like the game plan should have been basically is utilize James Robinson, who, you know, they kind of put the clamps on as well, the, the Texas defense did, but utilize James Robinson to ground and pound the ball. And then also doing so, you could keep that defense off of the field, which has been terrible. And we'll get on the defense actually later, but they actually had a better game than I thought they would. And again, we'll get into that. But that being said, you know, like they, the Jaguars should have been aiming to win the time of possession to keep Todd Wash's unit off of the um, off of the field because the Houston Texans have sucked so bad against the run. And that wasn't the case. You know, you got you go out and throw the ball almost 50 times. It, it's ridiculous. And like you said, first and foremost is when you look at that first half, they were in it. It was no need to move to a, a pass heavy plan after the half. But somehow they found themselves throwing the ball 50 times and that really hurt them from that perspective. However, the receivers, uh, you know, of course, I mean, if you throw the ball 50 times, the receivers should flourish as expected. LaVisca Chenault continues to be consistent as well. You could argue that him and James Robinson have been neck and neck in terms of consistency for this team. And they will be uh, core pieces for the nucleus of this team. Uh, as you said, DJ Chart kind of was shut down. Keelan Cole Sr., another guy that keeps showing up week after week, has that connection with Gardner Minshew. Um, you know, I've been an advocate of saying, and I think you agree with this, uh, they need to get that guy re-signed. And uh, I don't know if it happens this season or in the offseason, but they need to hold on to him. And, uh, you know, maybe, you know, if some changes are made and, you know, coaches are fired and so on and so forth, the Jags get an offensive mind. He looks at the film. He's like, yeah, I got to hang on to that guy. But that's a time will tell type of thing. So. You know, that was the impressive part about it was the receivers. They came, they stepped up when they were X. And as you said, Colin Johnson as well contributed the touchdown, had three catches for 30 yards. In totality, that group aside from Chark uh, did what they could with the 50 attempts that Gardner Minshew had. But the bottom line is there shouldn't have been 50 passing attempts in this game. And this should have been James Robinson's game uh, for the Jaguars to rely on his shoulders and, and keep their defense off of the field. And that's one of the main things, one of the main takeaways we had from James over at Texans Unfiltered is he said he, we were going to have success running the football against this team right out of the gate. They hand the ball off to James Robinson. He goes for 11 yards and then they immediately throw the ball three times in a row. It made absolutely no sense. And I believe even during the week they had mentioned they had planned on using James Robinson somewhere between 20 to 25 carries. And he got 13. And, and I don't really think that was a product of the score because in the second half, things were still close early on and then it got away from them. So I don't know why they completely went away from James Robinson. And then let's discuss the play that they call it at the goal line on what was it? Fourth and well, on fourth and goal where you have LaVisca Chenault who played Wildcat quarterback in college. That's one of the reasons you drafted him. And then you put James Robinson in that position. And some people were criticizing James Robinson, but that's not a position he's supposed to be in. That is literally built for LaVisca Chenault. 
what in the world were they doing? Because, I mean, I know we've been praising Jay Gruden here early on. But, again, that was just a really head-scratching moment. I, I get going forward is fine. I understand it. But put in the play call, again, also fine. But the execution was not good. And you didn't put the right player in, in position. So what, what the heck went on there? Well, I think what's going on is basically is that, you know, the the poor play on the defensive side. And, again, they played better than expected. But, you know, it's just discombobulated the whole staff. And it's just kind of infected the whole staff. And then, you know, like all of a sudden now Jay Gruden doesn't know how to call plays. Now, with that play specifically, they simply got too cute. I could argue that they didn't even need to go that route in terms of, um you know, trying a, a, a quarterback pass with – a running back or LaVisca Chenault, you know, maybe it's, it was something in the playbook better than that. But if you're going to do it, yeah, you're right. You go to LaVisca Chenault, who you've basically drafted for that reason. And, you know, yeah, sure, James Robinson fumbled the ball, this, that, and the other. But, look, you could critique him all you want. He was the most consistent player coming into this game. And, you know, as a rookie, mistakes are going to happen, so on and so forth. That's really the kid's biggest mistake of the year, to be honest with you. So, that being said, you know, like I'm not really trying to blame him for, you know, sh- you know, that situation and how the game went. He shouldn't have had the ball in his hands in, his, in the first case, in the first place, as you said, in that scenario. If you're going to do it, give it to LaVisca Chenault. But I mean, I would even go as far as saying, like, you got to go to another play. Like that was just getting too cute with the Wildcat thing. Try something else. Um, I know Gardner Minshew had happy feet all day or a, a lot of the day as well. Uh, but, you know, I feel more comfortable with him standing in the pocket and, and making that throw than, you know, trying something that's a little bit more complicated where it's a receiver or a running back taking the snap at quarterback. Well, let's talk about the quarterback here really quick, Jay, before we move on to the defensive side of the ball and talk about some of the comments made by Bradley Roby, because you and I had a discussion about this. And here's what he said in this press conference after the game. He said, quote, yeah, we just wanted to pressure them and not let them just get comfortable back there. And we did a great job. We were back there and I could tell from the secondary that he was kind of unsettled early. We got some sacks and some pressure. And I think he had some trouble with that. And he was kind of panicking back there. Anytime you can get the offense unsettled and the quarterback rushing his throws and things like that, you're going to be successful. And that was our plan today. Now, what we took away from this Jay is that defensive seems to be figuring out Gardner Minshew. I think a lot of the things that were working for him early on are now no longer working. You kind of saw that when he was trying to get out of the way of that defender, right? I can't remember who it was that he uh, that he was trying to juke out, but he went to the well one too many times and then ended up just zigzagging. I'm not really sure what that was. And it seems like a little bit of the Minshew magic is now just starting to wear off because teams are figuring out, okay, he's going to be mobile. He's going to try and move around. He's going to try and create. And teams are adjusting to that. What did you make of those comments from Bradley Roby? Because if I'm being honest, for all you Minshew fans out there, and listen, we like the guy too very much, but this should be worrying. And this should be worrisome because it just seems like, as I mentioned, teams are starting to figure out what he's all about, and maybe what his limitations are. Yeah, you know, Roby's comments are alarming because they echo things that we heard during and after the game as well. James Lofton alluded to this, who was uh, it's the uh, commentator, who was the commentator for the game. He alluded to that as well at um, one point or maybe several points in the game, but I know he did it in the second half, alluding to Gardner Minshew needing to sit in the pocket and make better throws, you know, and being a little bit more calmer in the pocket. 
then the next day on uh, Monday, Tony Boselli, who um, I didn't actually listen to this, but I saw the tweet about it from TNT and XL. He was on the radio early uh, Monday morning. He mentioned it as well. And he basically said what you said as well, Phil. And that's basically that, you know, we all know that he's a gamer and this, that, and the other. And he creates plays and this, that, and the other and prolongs plays. But, you know, at the end of the day, and I'm just paraphrasing him, at the end of the day, a quarterback's money is made from in the pocket. You know, you can't rely on solely just being Johnny Manziel and eluding pressure and making plays that are that come off of prolonged plays and so on and so forth. And that's that feels like a lot of what Gardner is trying to do. And I think like in his defense, maybe it's because some of last year he, you know, he was hit a lot and, you know, he was chased a lot. And it just, you know, when you see those ghosts early in your career, it's hard to erase them. And um, I think like that's a, a testament of the um, the Derek Carr situation or um, David Carr. Is it his brother? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mistaken. Yeah. David Carr situation. Also, that's Sam Darnold. Of, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of what ruined his career. And, you know, Sam Darnold as well. And uh, that can hurt a player. And this is something, you know, people can sit here and kind of deny it. It's something that Gardner has even mentioned himself. He mentioned it the week after the Bengals game. Uh, where he was saying that, you know, he needs to settle down because he's missing reads because he's moving in the pocket too early and so on and so forth. So it's something that not only are we seeing, not only has Tony Boselli talked about it, James Lawton has talked about it. It's something Gardner Minshew himself has said as well. And it's an issue that, you know, if you want to be the guy here and, you know, you you want to uh, basically be the franchise quarterback here, you have to have that problem corrected. And at this point, it feels like it's not getting corrected because we keep revisiting it week after week. What are we, are we like six weeks into the, the regular season now? So we'll see, you know, if he can hunker down on that issue. One thing about the Detroit Lions, while they aren't all that good against the pass, I think they're like 30 or should I say they're not all that good against the rush. They're like 30th against the rush. They are 11th against the pass. And, you know, I think Matt Patricia can dial something up, albeit he hasn't done a very good job over there overall in terms of his record. But I think Matt Patricia could dial something up that will fluster Gardner Minshew. And if they can move him around in the pocket, they can win this game. And, you know, they could very well get their second win of the year uh, just from making him see ghosts in the pocket and making him miss reads and so on and so forth. So that's very concerning heading forward. Right. So definitely something to keep an eye on as the season goes on and how every single week we point out we're going to see better defenses. So it's going to be interesting to see how Gardner Minshew and Jay Gruden really adjust to how teams are preparing for him, I guess is the word that I'm looking for. So looking at the defensive side of things, Jay tackle wise, Daniel Thomas and Dakota Allen each had seven. But the real breakout was Sidney Jones. He had, of course, the interception early on against Deshaun Watson, and then he had the uh, the tip ball that led to an interception by, it was, was it Gerard Wilson that had the interception? Yeah, Gerard Wilson, and uh, man, he just looked really, really good, so it's nice to see him get more play time. Uh, Dwan Smoot also had a great game. He ended up with a sack as well. Now, of course, remember, no Josh Allen, no Miles Jack for the defense, uh, and I felt like they were doing pretty well early on, and then, of course, as we mentioned, and the second half, it just got away from them. And, you know, the offense unable to keep pace. And uh, I don't know, maybe the defense got gassed or they were tired. I'm not sure what went on. But, um, you know, overall, not really too much to look into other than Smoot and Sidney Jones. 
Um, so defensively, I mean, I, I know you've actually had an opportunity, Jay, to just to recently watch the second half back. I have not been able to do that. So what did you see defensively that stood out or maybe would be a little concerning uh, going forward? Yeah, I'll say this. Part of what didn't help the defense is the missed opportunities on the offense's part. In the uh, late in the first half, they had two. It was two attempts that they were within, if I'm not mistaken, the 22 yard line of Houston where they came up with no points. And, you know, while the kicker, Stephen House, could miss both attempts as well, that didn't help. But the problem with that is even even so, like when you get inside the 22 yard line, you don't even want to settle for field goals. You should be settling for six. And I think, you know, eventually mistakes like that catches up against you, especially against a defense that the Jaguars have that isn't all that great, but, you know, had a decent uh, first half. So, you know, a a lot of this game kind of isn't their fault. They were a little better than expected. The offense just didn't hold up their end of the bargain and didn't come up with, with points where they needed to. And also, I think, if I'm not mistaken, in the second half, there was a attempt within the 30 of Houston where the Jacksonville Jaguars didn't come up with points. Oh, yeah, actually, that was the fumble, the James Robinson situation, where they didn't come up with points at all either. So, you know, that's three attempts in Houston territory where you at least want six or I guess nine if you're counting field goals. But you either want the field goals or you want touchdowns predominantly in those situations. The Jaguars came up with zero points in that situation. Jay Gruden did top wash no favors in that situation. And, you know, as I said, Jay Gruden should have been looking to help out Todd Wash through the rush. And here we are talking about uh, Jay Gruden not helping out Todd Wash. It's, it's weird. But uh, that being said, I'm not a Todd Wash defender for those who are listening, by the way. But I'm just throwing that out there uh, that the, the offense was not all that great. Yeah. Now, in terms of the the stars and or the, the standouts on defense, uh, like you said, Sidney Jones, man, I was very impressed with him and the one smooth man like Sidney. Is a guy that people made a big deal of, and rightfully so, when the Jaguars were able to put him on their practice squad. And I have been saying it all along, too. Sidney's not going to be on practice squad very long because he was a second-round pick for the Eagles. He was a guy that, you know, he just needed he just needed a change of scenery with the Eagles. And a lot of things in his defense, a lot of things haven't really gone his way uh, since being drafted for the Eagles or by the Eagles. Um, and even before that, when he was at Washington at his pro day, if I can recall, he had an Achilles tear at his pro day, which made him fall to the second round. He was supposed to be a first round pick, made him fall to the second round. And they were lucky to get him there. And then, you know, his career just kind of didn't take off there. There were injuries. And that's a big concern still to this day. There were injuries he had, uh, you know, and, and so on and so forth. He was inactive at times. So it was clear a change of scenery was needed there. So, you know. I want to jump on the Sidney Jones bandwagon, and I really like Sidney Jones. My concern is the health. He has to stay healthy. But if he stays healthy, he is a young man. I wouldn't mind pairing with Trey Herndon on the outside on the perimeter and letting those guys be the future at cornerback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Obviously, we've seen what Herndon can do in um, week one. And, you know, he's made plays even after week one. Herndon or Henderson? Henderson. Excuse me. You're right. Henderson. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Excuse me, y'all. Henderson. Yes, Herndon has been terrible, to say the least, in my opinion. Averaging like a penalty a game. I don't think he got a penalty this week, but he's been averaging penalties each game. He's a guy, you know, while we're speaking on it, man, like he's a guy It feels like the staff really likes him because we've heard Doug Marone 
praised him in the past. Uh, and Tony Khan also is high on him because Tony Khan is on, uh, in charge of getting the undrafted free agents. It feels like they really like just show a lot of favoritism to him. But the play on the field just hasn't been there to really match the favoritism that they've shown towards him. I mean, aside from probably in practice, you know, that's how you get the coach's attention. But he's a guy that, you know, like I would choose Sidney Jones over him any day on the perimeter. But I digress from um, my point if Sydney is healthy. But um, on to Smoot. Yeah, Smoot had a great day. Smoot has always felt like one of those guys. It takes him like a couple weeks to get going. And we're finally seeing that with him. You know, we're in week five and it's like, okay, hey, he's here. And it also helps that he's very familiar with the Texans. You know, he's one of the most experienced guys on the defensive line. So, you know, he was familiar with Laramie Tonk. So he was familiar with the other um, offensive tackle on their line who is escaping me right now. And he was a nuisance for Deshaun Watson. I think he had like three quarterback hits. He was pressuring them constantly. He got his hand on the ball that Sidney Jones intercepted. So kudos for him uh, to the game he had as he's on the contract here. And me and Phil have talked about this. You know, he's the guy that, you know, probably will end up getting a deal somewhere else uh, because of or, or based off of how he plays this year. And uh, if he continues to stack games like that together, you would definitely see where some team would be willing to offer him a decent contract and free agency next year if the Jazz can't retain him. Yeah, Smooth's definitely a fan favorite, so it was nice to see him get going. And uh, yeah, you make a really good point about him. It takes it takes him a while to get going, but then when he finally does show up, it's, it's always really great. So, um, you know, again, I, I echo a lot of what you said there, Jan. I'm not really 100% sure that this loss falls on the defense. You would like to see what they would have looked like with Josh Allen, with Miles Jack, with C.J. Henderson. And I think maybe the game would have been a little bit different. Um, but again, the offense did them absolutely no favors, leaving all those points on the board. I, I think it was really at that point with, with between the missed field goals and the failed fourth and goal attempt where you just had this feeling like this, this isn't going to go the way that the Jaguars wanted to. What's up, Jags fans? My name is Jacob DeLawrence. Some of you may recognize this voice from back in the day with the Jaguars Den podcast, but I am coming to you right here in the middle of your Believe in the Jaguars podcast to simply let you know that, hey, if you're a fan of pro wrestling, feel free to check out the Believe in NXT podcast hosted by yours truly, Jacob DeLawrence, and my co-host, Mr. Cedric Welton. Yeah, so if you like wrestling, make sure you tap in. We got all the gems for you. If you like Minshew Magic, you're going to love what you hear over here. Come for the sidebars, stay for the wrestling. Exactly. That's right there on the Believe in XT podcast. We're available. Same place that you got the Believe in Jaguars podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, Google Play, Have Podcasts, Will Travel. Appreciate you guys for checking us. Now we're going to get you right back to that Jaguars talk. Um, but let's move into the game balls here because we really want to get into these questions that were asked. On the offensive side of things, we discussed a couple of different players, and we actually decided there's going to be a theme here for both the offensive and the defensive side of the ball. And we're going to give it to the receivers, man, outside of D there for really stepping up when, uh, you know, Houston was really keyed in on DJ Chark. So between LaVisca Chenault, Keelan Cole, and Colin Johnson, who, of course, got his first NFL touchdown, uh, you know, I think the receiving group deserves to be commended here uh, for, for really stepping it up when, you know, I think they probably had an idea that DJ Chark was going to be, they were going to do everything they could to take him away. And and they did. Yeah. I mean, all of the points that the Jags got in this game were from receivers, not named DJ Chark. And even to a stronger degree, 
um, not James Robinson, who we thought should have been the key part of the game plan. So, you know, that's good to know, at least while James Robinson, Robinson should have been the focal point of this office, it's good to know that the Jaguars do have options that can step up when DJ Chark can't get going, when James Robinson can't get going. You know, Colin Johnson got the end on um, the touchdown, as you said, uh, where I think it was like a crossing route where he just kind of faded into the background or whatever the case may be. And Keelan Cole has always, again, going back to what I said, he's always had that connection with Minshew, which is good. And, you know, he's that guy, I, I really, really want to hang on to him somehow, some way. We'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that's really developing, overcome a lot of adversity because it was times where he was near the front of the depth chart, times where he was in the back of the depth chart. He was just all over the place in terms of the depth chart. And he just keeps managing to find a way to keep making plays. And, uh, you know, that's what you want on a offense, uh, especially if you don't know what you have at the quarterback position and you might have an uncertain future with coaching down the road. At least you can know you can look at the receiver position and say, like, hey, that guy's reliable, Chart's reliable, Chenault's developing, um, and Colin Johnson very well could be on his way to developing as well, which, you know, that that ensues that you have a good core around the quarterback position, at least at receiver that could carry a quarterback if you want to make a change there. And also, let's give a shout-out to Chris Conley, who, of course, just a couple weeks ago had a really off game. Uh, he caught that under-throw by Minshew, which I think, Jay, we believe that literally, uh, you know, uh, if we want to make this comparison, a Trevor Lawrence would have probably hit that on the <laughs> hit that guy in stride and it would have been a touchdown. Now, eventually, it ended up being the Colin Johnson touchdown, so I'm not mad about it. But that under-throw looked real bad, and so kudos to, to Chris Conley for adjusting and, and making that catch, honestly, because it was a terrible throw. Yeah, it was a duck. When it came out of Minshew's hands, I was like, that's not going to end well. You know, but luckily for Minshew, and I would notice as a former defensive back, the defensive back didn't locate the ball. He didn't get his eyes on the ball. So Conley kind of took advantage of it, came back to the ball. You could argue that Conley maybe should have high-pointed the ball or whatever the case may be. But may, then again, maybe it was just so such a bad throw that he couldn't high-point it or whatever the case may be. Uh, but yeah, if the defender gets his head around, he can actually make a play on that ball and, and swat it down at the least, if not intercept it. Uh, but kudos to Conley to, like you said, adjusting to that and uh, making that clutch play that got the Jags some points on the board eventually through Colin Johnson. And then let's move on to the defensive side of things here, Jay. We're going to give it out to multiple people as well, because between Sidney Jones and Dewan Smoot, they both deserved it. You've already talked about them a little bit. You know, we just hope that Sidney Jones continues to stay healthy and then Smoot you know, continues to just uh, play very well as the season goes on. And uh, but yeah, we're going to get the defensive ball to both those guys because they definitely showed out on a defense that was pretty shorthanded. Yeah, kudos to both of them. And Sidney Jones, I think he ended up getting a 90 plus point grade on PFF for that performance. So um, I think it was maybe 93 or something like that that he scored. But um, kudos to him again. Like he deserves it, man. He's been through so much. The Achilles tear in his pro day, not being able to find his footing with the Eagles. You know, maybe here in Jacksonville, this kid could catch on. Maybe there's, you know, he could be a little bit more healthier and, you know, find a spot with, uh, I was about to say Trey Herndon, but Henderson to find a spot on this team with Henderson to be the boundary corners and, uh, you know, solidify this cornerback position or this cornerback group, which has some talent. Uh, but, you know, I guess some of the guys are a little bit unknown, like Josiah Scott and Luck Barku, but, 
That being said, like he he adds to a promising cornerback core is what I'm saying. And then for Smoot, uh, you know, again, shout outs to Smoot, man. Like you can't help but root for the guy. He's a fan favorite. Um, I used to watch his YouTube page, which I loved, but I don't know if he's still doing the videos or whatever. But real likable guy, man. You can't help but cheer for Dewan Smoot, who is a guy again, like, you know, his career got off to a slow start when he was first with the Jaguars. It was like what, two, three years he couldn't get a sack. And then next year or last year, he ended up getting, uh, I think it was six sacks or something like that. So, you know, he's a guy that's up on the upswing, if you will. And I just want to see him continue to build, even if it doesn't, you know, uh, end with him ending up with the Jaguars in the end. Or, you know, he may end up with another team. But still, for the sake of his career, I just like to see the man flourish because he's a good dude. And, um, you know, he does deserve it. Yeah, 100%, man. So shout out to both those guys for their performance, and you hope they can continue to replicate that as we head into Detroit and as the season goes on. Uh, but, Jay, to wrap up, we want to go into uh, these uh, fan questions, these listener questions that we got. So shout out to everybody. Uh, before we do that, Jay, I wanted to actually mention this at the top of the show. I, I do also want to send out our best to Dak Prescott. You know, me being a Cowboys fan secondarily, but being from Dallas, Texas, I, I got to tell you, Jay, watching it happen, I, uh, it was heartbreaking, man. And, uh, you know, of course he went through this whole saga with his contract and he bet on himself and rightfully so he's earned the money and he should be paid accordingly. But I had to turn the game off after that. I really didn't want to watch any football the rest of the day. And, uh, you can kind of, do, it's a testament to the kind of person that Dak Prescott is by the response from both sides of the ball, of course, on the giants and the Cowboys, but also the outpouring of support from the NFL community and the sports community really in general. Um, of course, the Cowboys are not very well liked, but people love Dak Prescott, man, and rightfully so. Uh, one thing that really got me, Jay, was when Jason Garrett was out there. Of course, his former coach, now coaching for the New York Giants. I mean, he's been with Dak since the very beginning, right? So, of course, he was very emotionally involved, and um, you know, you just never want to see that. And, of course, we send out our best to him, and we're confident that he's going to get back and, and be better than ever. Yeah, while it was a gruesome moment to watch, um, and you can never get used to it, even if you watch as much football as me and you have, and me and even me and my buddy Josh have, you can never get used to those type of moments and just, you know, the anguish and the pain on his face. And, and it was heartbreaking. Now, although I didn't see it live, I had to go back and um, look on Twitter to see exactly what happened. And yeah, it, it did look bad. But like you said, man, like, I try and take the good out of everything. And it was heartwarming to see the moment Jason Garrett, like you said, come on the field. Um, and you can see him kind of like touch Mike McCarthy on the back and say, look, it's, it's going to be all right, man. And um, which, you know, he had successful surgery for Adam Schefter. So that's good. I think the timeline is four to six months, which is good. You know, like because if you look at it like, you know, for those who could stomach to look at it, because it was a little hard to look at. If you look at it, you know, you thinking like, oh, my God, that's just not good at all. So for the end result to say, you know, four to six months, you know, that's a blessing in a way, you know, and it kind of shows you where uh, modern day medicine has come along as well, because that's shorter than the ACL tear when it looked very bad on the field. So, you know, there is that. And, you know, like, again, just going back to what I was saying about trying to be positive and giving people something to smile about in the worst of times. At the same time, and this is one thing I forgot to tweet about it. While Dak Prescott did, and this is not to take any, you know, any eyes off of Dak Prescott situation. While Dak Prescott, you know, had such a gruesome injury, 
Another thing that people can smile about about the game of football and how you can come back in the game of football. If you look no further than in that division, Alex Smith touched the field. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And that was a heartwarming uh, moment. Uh, his wife and kids clapping for him, the stadium clapping for him, so on and so forth. So that is what, like, that's the advice I would offer to people is kind of look at, you know, uh, that situation because that's where that could be in just a few more years. Albeit, you know, we question if he'll be with the Dallas Cowboys. I think he'll probably be with another team down the road. But make no mistake about it. Like, he has a future in football. I think he makes a full recovery, at least I'm hoping and praying that he does. And if he does, you know, he'll see the field just like Alex Smith did again. And, uh, you know, it could be definitely a happy ending because, you know, while I've been a harsh critic of his, you know, he is a guy that, you know, you can't help but feel for. And he is a guy that you think or I believe could definitely overcome any, um, you know, the adversity that he's seeing at the moment. 100%. It was just wild that this happened uh, again with, you know, Jason Garrett there, but also the same day that Alex Smith made his return to the field. And, you know, I'm sure just knowing the type of person Alex Smith is, I'm sure if he hasn't already, he will reach out to Dak. I just got a, um, a notification that Gordon Hayward from the Boston Celtics reached out to Dak Prescott. Of course, Gordon Hayward just a couple of years ago had his own gruesome injury. So, you know, when stuff like this happens, of course, it's heartbreaking. But again, the outpouring of support has been great to see. Deshaun Watson was another one, too, um, that right. I saw reach out to him. Who's, you know, Deshaun Watson, if I'm not mistaken, he's been through multiple ACL tears. Is it one or two? So, yeah, you know, these guys are reaching out to him. And I, I love to see that, though. You know, people that have been through adversity as well saying, hey, man, you're going to come back from this. And, I'm, you know, this makes it more interesting, as I said, now to see, like, because I don't think he's going to be with the Dallas Cowboys in the future. I want to see where his career goes after this. I think it's going to get exciting after this, to be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. A, a lot of anger, I can tell you, from the fan base and also just football fans in general at Jerry Jones for – just not taking care of this guy and, you know, finding a way to make it work. So I, too, as much as I love him as a quarterback of the Cowboys, I definitely think he is going to end up leaving. Yeah, I remember I threw this out to you, uh, I think, early in the offseason. If the Cowboys had a good year and he would become hit free agency and uh, the Jags would sign both Dak Prescott as well as bring on the Cowboys offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore. I don't think that's going to happen now, but. Uh, you know, I just I'm just going to put that out there. That way it's on record as something that I said. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. But let's move into the uh, the questions here really quick. Oh, you know what? And also shout out to LeBron James <laughs> for winning championship month number four and, uh, you know, getting that damn respect that he wanted <laughs> that he talked about in that press game conference. I got to shout out LeBron because, uh, you know, for some reason, people hate on that guy when he's really not done anything wrong other than be almost, if not as good as Michael Jordan. So, uh, but let's move into the fan questions here, Jay. Now, the one that we got really the most is when are Caldwell Marone going to be out of here? Now, your your second team, the Atlanta Falcons, just made major in-house changes, of course, right here at the quarter pole of the season. So how where do you fall? I don't know that I've, you and I have ever talked about that. What do you, what are your thoughts on these coaching changes and front office changes right in the middle of a season. Of course, we just saw the Houston Texans do it, and they beat us. Now, granted, Romeo Cornell has had success in this league. He's been a head coach and he's been a coordinator for a long time. So I think a couple weeks ago, you talked about it when we joined. I can't remember who it was, but you talked about who would probably be the interim coach if they made a change. So where do you fall on teams making these types of huge moves right in the middle of a season? Yeah, I don't think I think it varies on a team to team 
faces. You know, like I look at the Falcon situation and how Dan Quinn started off. And a, a lot of it to me, too, is if the Atlanta Falcons are like the oldest team on average in terms of age in football, too. So I don't think that helped them as well. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you look at how Dan Quinn started off. I think that was justifiable. And I also think like Arthur Blank firing him in the, well, I don't want to say in the middle of the season, but week five or week four of the season, I don't think that hurts their chances to land another candidate down the road. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if it if you firing a coach so early in the season will help your chances to land the next candidate, then that's when I believe you shouldn't do it, if that makes sense, Phil. Uh, but in the in the Falcons case, it doesn't hurt them. Uh, with the Texas cases, I don't think it really matters uh, either. I don't think it necessarily hurts them. What hurts them is just the outlook in terms of not having draft capital next year and where their salary cap is, which is easily uh, easily fixable. But, you know, I don't think it's going to really hurt them in terms of a um, from a candidate perspective. So I guess to move on to the second part of what people are asking, you know, is that going to do you see that happening anytime soon? I mean, we head into this matchup with the Lions. Again, a Lions team that's also not very good, a coaching staff that I don't I don't think they're very happy with either. But you and I are big Matthew Stafford fans. We've been on the record of saying, you know, if he had had uh, if, if he he's one Super Bowl away from being a Hall of Famer uh, based on his statistics and how he's played. But, you know, a guy that's probably going to come in here and carve the defense up, you know, at what point do you think they make some kind of change and they say, all right, you know what, we're just going to go ahead and pull the trigger. You guys are out. How about them dogs? First of all, you know, that's what <laughs> first and foremost. Got. I want to talk about college football. Right, right, right. Uh, so just throw the entire Big 12 in the trash. Honestly, just throw the whole conference in the trash. But yeah, shout outs to Matthew Stafford. But for the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, I'm not, I'll say this. I believe with shot, when you look at shot Khan's background, he's been very patient, right? So with that being the case, I think shot is going to wait to the end of the season. And that's fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I don't really have a problem with that. I know. I mean, see, for fans, it's easy to say, fire them now, fire them now, because they're upset and they're ready to move on and so on and so forth. But it firing them at the end of the season isn't going to hurt the Jaguars. because. And I talked to this. Uh, I had this conversation with my cousin. The reason that it's not going to hurt the Jaguars to wait and fire these guys, and they could do it early if they wanted to, but the reason it's not going to hurt them if they just wait to the end of the season is because at the end of the day, it still doesn't change the fact that they're going to they're gonna have a boatload of cap in terms of the salary cap. And it doesn't change the fact that they're going to have a boatload of picks in terms of the draft as well. So that's not going to change today or by then, unless somebody just blows some cap space, which that ain't happening in the middle of the season and blows those draft picks in the in the middle of the season, which that's not happening either. So that being said, if they wait, so be it. It doesn't really hurt their chances or the, um, the, they still have a appealing team to come to, even if they fired up Marone on the last game of the season. Also, I, I will add this also, too, though. I think, you know, it's, if anybody gets fired before the season, it'll be tie wash. But, you know, besides that, I don't think like we're going to see like this drastic move by Shad Khan, if I will, um, on his part in terms of firing anybody or firing a GM and firing a head coach. I think he'll probably be patient and wait. But I do think, I mean, based off of what we've seen, especially what you said with them losing to all of these winless teams, I do think the writing is on the wall that those guys would get fired at the end of the year. Albeit, he said he's going to wait. Shad Khan said he's going to wait. 
and see how the season ends. But I don't see it going all that well. Yeah, because you may have a, a Lions team that you're about to face off against that might be also one in four. And, uh, you know, of course, that's just going to look even worse. I, 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 you got to wonder if eventually the pressure on Shad Khan just amounts to too much and he just has to go ahead and make the change right there at the season. But I mean, I would say this for fans, just be patient because if that's what you want, it's probably going to happen. We'll, we'll go ahead, Jay. Yeah. One thing I will say too, is like, I kind of like the aspect of him waiting to the end of the season, because going back to what we said in the past, you want to remove yourself from as many Tom Coughlin things as possible. And Tom Coughlin, Coughlin like tendencies. And one thing I will say that, and this is just me personally, I can't speak for nobody else or you feel, but, the whole situation of how Shad Khan handled Gus Bradley, firing him as they were on the plane or before they got on the plane. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. that just felt just unprofessional, in my opinion. It was gross. It felt yeah, gross. Yeah, it felt unprofessional. So, like, you know, for Shad Khan to shed that kind of perception and shed that stigma and then shed the stigma that they had while Tom Coughlin was here as well, albeit they fired Tom Coughlin in November, or it might have been late December, early December. But they fired him before the season could end. Just whatever you do, just don't do it in a nasty way is is basically what I'm saying. So if they wait to the end of the season, that's the most professional way you can go about doing it. And again, you know, his history kind of says he might wait to the end of the season to do it because he's super patient and so on and so forth. And again, that also kind of looks good in a sense that the next head coaching candidate is going to look at that. Not only do they have an abundance of cap space and an abundance of draft picks. He's going to look at it and be like, dude, this the next candidate, if there is a next candidate, he's going to look at it as if, dude, this guy is super patient. You know, he gave Dave Caldwell almost a decade. He gave Doug Marone four years. Well, Doug Marone was on the staff with Gus Bradley as well, but four years as a head coach. That's a good look in terms of what in addition to what they already have in terms of, uh, you know, the draft, the draft situation and the salary cap. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. I think it would definitely benefit the team more to just ride it out. Um, I don't know that they're really, even though they're never going to admit this publicly, I don't think the expectations are they make some sort of playoff run. I don't think it's going to happen. So you present yourself with a situation, just like you said, where you've just given the coach and the GM a lot of time. We're going to present you with possibly a top five pick and an opportunity to go get one of those quarterbacks or bring in, you know, bring in somebody to compete. And then you just go from there because we just talked about the offense and the defense. And there are definitely some really good pieces here to work with. Now, think about pairing those this receiving core, which we expect to just get better and better. We now have James Robinson, who looks like he's going to be a franchise back and pairing that with your guy at quarterback. And, you know, I, I think this is definitely going to be an appealing place, despite what national or or uh, people, you know, outside of the fan base may think. Um, I think there's an opportunity here to try and write the ship. One more thing to Phil. The downside of firing him in terms of firing him during the season, too, is what we talked about with James. Teams like to rally after their head coaches were fired. And, you, you know, at this point, it doesn't benefit the Jaguars to win any more games at this point. Let's just call it, it it is what it is. It doesn't benefit them. They probably, and for all of the people that are on the Trevor Lawrence bandwagon, 
they probably even with just one loss currently and maybe even losing out the rest of the games, they still may not be able to acquire the first overall pick because the Jets are just that bad. And I believe the Jets, if there's any team in yeah, they are not good in this equation that can go uh 0 16 is them. And that's that's my biggest fear, actually. Is that like if it comes down to a race of who's gonna get the first overall pick. I don't think nobody could beat the Jets in that situation. I'll be, I do think they play Miami twice. So there may be an opportunity for them to win some games there. Uh, but, you know, like for those of you. The Giants who are, are also 0-5. Correct. Correct. So uh, if you're on this bandwagon to get Trevor Lawrence or, you know, just have the best draft positioning as possible, firing up Marone might ruin that, if anything, because, again, you don't want the team to rally in terms of morale as Texas did against us. But then again, everybody bounces back against us and uh, win an extra game or two. And then we're looking at a three win team or a two win team that is outside of the range of the top three picks, you know, for those who want that, you know, and who want a quarterback or who want a top tier guy in terms of the draft. What you would hope for, and then we'll move on to the next question here in just a moment. What, what I would hope is that, a team gets the number one pick that does not need a quarterback because then maybe you're in play. So if you have the number three, the number four overall pick, because I think two or three wins will be good enough to get at least a top four pick. Now, I think what you would want is like the number one pick to go to somebody, of course, like like maybe, well, the Miami, see Miami's two and three now. I don't think they're going to be in range. Like uh, Cincinnati maybe to be up there. Uh, the Chargers possibly be up there at number one. Um, now the Falcons, we didn't even mention them, Jay. They're 0 and 5. Would they maybe make a change uh, there with, with you know with, with Matt Ryan's history? But what you would hope is that a team would be the number would. one. Probably. Yeah, exactly. So because uh, Trevor Lawrence is from Atlanta, if I'm not mistaken. There you go. So and also Trevor Lawrence is a prospect that is just so highly touted that I don't know that um, I, anybody. I, there's not really many teams at all that would pass on an opportunity to to get him. So you would hope that a team is in position with number one to take Trevor Lawrence because you have the draft capital to move up and, and then just go get it. But I mean, we'll, we'll digress from there because this is something we could talk about obviously for a full episode and uh, we'll have all season to talk about how the, how bad, how bad the Jaguars are playing. So let's move into the other question here. The last one we'll talk about here and shout out to Logan. Um, he, he asked, can we play DD for once or trade him for some pass rush help? And I understand this question from a logistical standpoint because it makes a lot of sense. We're not playing D.D. Westbrook. He's probably going to be let go in the offseason anyway. But as you were explaining to me, Jay, before we got the, when we were picking out the questions to, to answer, it's not really as simple as let's give up D.D. Westbrook for a pass rusher, right? Right. And a quick correction on Trevor Lawrence. I just looked it up. He's actually from Cartersville, Georgia. That's near Atlanta. So or he played high school. Excuse me. He played high school football in Cartersville. So, you know, he's kind of somewhat of a native of there. Uh, but, you know, that's another topic for the last question. Um, just wanted to make that correction, though. But, yeah, like you said, with Didi, it's not as simple as like, hey, you know, we got this extra receiver that we want to trade. Uh, let's get a pass rusher because we need one. Well, the, the question is then who has a pass rusher on the market that's available up for trade? And when you look at it because the trade deadline is this, is this month, it's not really a lot of guys that's surfacing as pass rushers that you feel like would be trade bait or on the trade block. The only one that, you know, when me and you were researching it, the only one that commonly came up was Ryan Kerrigan, who's over the age of 30. Um, you know, like, do the Jaguars really want to go that route 14 that isn't going to win that many games and 
you know, give up the draft compensation for somebody who's of that age and so on and so forth. And then I'll remind you, in my opinion, you know, Ryan Kerrigan is not, you know, a Calais Campbell type of player, if you will, a player that's over 30 that would really, really help this team and, uh, you know, help the defense. So, you know, like when you look at it from that perspective, it's really nobody out there for them to even really uh, take a swing at in terms of trading DD4. So I guess that would answer the question in terms of uh, his situation. And in terms of Didi getting more snaps, well, he he's always been a guy, while I've been high on him and wanting him to to evolve and so on and so forth, he's always been a guy that's just been just simply hard to figure out, man. Like, And I just think, you know, it may be a matter of, he just may not have it because, you know, last year was a matter of the drops. So that what I'm saying, I guess, is, even putting Didi in the games, I don't think it really helps this team offensively all that much. And besides, we just talked about what kind of a, a game the receivers had this week with Keelan Cole and all of those guys on LaVisca and DJ Chark. They're fine in terms of the receivers without him. I don't really think he makes a difference putting him in the games or not. Even I mean, I guess you can make the argument he can return special teams punts or kicks or whatever the case may be. But from a receiver perspective, he doesn't really – move the needle all that much for this team. Right. Because I guess this, the other answer to that would be, I don't know that Didi has put on enough eye popping tape to justify a team. Give just giving us a pass rusher straight up because I'm not willing to give Didi Westbrook and one of our draft picks for Ryan Kerrigan. I, I just, I, I just would not do that. You know what I mean? So um, I, I do. I am OK with them trading him because, of course, they're not going to utilize him and, and getting again, continuing to stockpile draft picks for this next regime. But, you know, there's not really I just I think it's just a matter of there's not really there wouldn't really necessarily be a market for him to just be straight up traded for a pass rusher, you know, but I do understand the question. I totally get it. Yeah, I mean, and, and you look at what DD does best. And, you know, when you when you talk about DD, the, the most common thing that comes up is the slot, the slot, the slot this, that, and the other. Well, LaVisca Chenault, who, again, I've praised for being one of the most consistent players on this offense with James Robinson, has been dynamic in the slot. So, therefore, the best thing that Didi does, uh, the Jaguars have somebody that does better than him, um, you could argue, in LaVisca Chenault. So, that, that answers why he's not seeing the field and so on and so forth. You know, maybe some people want to see him on the perimeter, on the outside a little bit more. But, again, look, this is a guy that, again, I think he had at least a handful of drops last year. You know, he hasn't really warranted uh, the snaps on the outside either. I mean, although he's been, you know, a guy that has gotten a lot of good stats with Gardner Minshew and so on and so forth, he's not going to be a game changer for Gardner Minshew at the same time, despite piling on the stats that he did last year. I remember having the conversation with Jacob a co just a couple of years ago, and we were praising Didi as get, you know having the opportunity to be a number one receiver, and he was surpassed by DJ Chark in every single way possible. Um, and now with these new guys in and Keelan Cole continuing to play well, yeah, the writing is on the wall for Didi. We of course wish him the best wherever wherever he ends up, but um, I think what would be more likely to answer the the question here that we, that we got would be that he would be just straight up traded for a draft pick for draft compensation as opposed to being trade for, traded for a pass rusher. Yep, that makes the most sense. Um, I don't think anybody at this point really might get traded for a defensive end. I know a lot of people want edge rush help, but 
you know, I, I feel like at the defensive side of the ball, for the most part, especially at edge rusher, what they got right now is just what they're going to just have to go through the season with. And I don't think it's going to be anybody on the market that's that warrants them getting any help on the edge. They're going to have to fix that next year, not this year. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, this is great. We're, we'll uh, try and do this every single week. Thank you guys for all of the questions. Again, pretty much all of them were l- related to uh, the coaching staff in the front office. So I think that's going to be a theme for the rest of the season, Jay, I, I feel like. But uh, with that being said, you guys, you know, thank you for joining us for another episode. Uh, of course, we're going to be working on getting a guest on for the Detroit Lions and discussing the upcoming matchup with them. And we'll, of course, go from there. So, Jay, we're going to wrap up here momentarily, uh, but just let everybody know what they have to look forward to in terms of the Jaguars wire and anything on the podcast as well. Yeah, I'm going to look at the uh, PFF scores to the best of my abilities and get an article up on the Jaguars wire on that. Again, Sidney Jones led the way for the team. So we'll probably have something on that. Uh, We'll continue or we'll proceed to look into the Lions um, and get a Lions guest on probably, which we're working on currently. Talk Lions, uh, get a spread post up on them. Uh, by the way, while I'm speaking of the spread post, the guy that does our spread post, uh, Robert Ricks, uh, I want to see a, send a prayer for him because he was in the way of the most uh, recent storm. And uh, his family and people, um, while they are fine, he told me they're fine. Um, they lost power and all of that. And he, d- he did tell me that they got their power back and all of that. But, um, you know, with Hurricane Michael coming through my hometown, I know what that's like. So at the same time, I want to send my prayers to him and uh, wish him the best. Uh, so I'll probably handle the spread post because, you know, Robert's kind of busy and handling uh, dealing with some stuff right now. Uh, but, yeah, we'll do that and continue to look at the Lions on the Jaguars wires, wire as well and get some articles up on them and kind of give you all a scouting report, if you will, on them. Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, Robert and everybody in that area, just stay safe and and take care of yourself. And, um, of course, we'll we'll monitor that for sure. But, yeah, guys, again, just as a reminder, if you're enjoying the show, head over to Apple Podcast and subscribe and rate five stars. We would really appreciate it. Of course, we're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. Once again, you can tweet the show at Believe in Jags Pod. You can also follow us at the Jaguars Wire on both Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O, and Jay is over at Sports Grind underscore Don. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We hope that you're safe and healthy wherever you're at. Go out and vote. Vote early. Take care of yourselves. This has been Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. We believe. Do you? We will see you next time, you guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.